know that I renamed my sermon last night. I renamed it. I don't do that very often. Write a whole sermon and mess with it and then the last minute rename it. You want to know what the name is? No? Okay. I do. Oh, okay. (laughs) Jesus Freaks. That's how I named it. Jesus Freaks. I'm using a whole lot of selected scripture, and I'm not going to read it all to you. I'm not going to tell all of it to you, um, because I want this to be a message of encouragement, not a lecture. You know what I'm talking about? So if you want the scripture, all you got to do is let me know, and I'll email it to you, and you can have all the scripture that I used. Uh, We've been looking at the five solas, the alones. The Bible alone, faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone, for the glory of God alone. And I want you to know I have no quarrel with anybody about this. I do quarrel with a little bit folks on theology. But it's not like the 15 and 1600s when our ancestors in the faith, the reformers, uh, put this all together. There you could be executed for believing the wrong thing. You know, and so it's not that these things aren't important. It's that uh, maybe we're just, uh, I don't know, we don't kill one another over our beliefs in our country. So I want to talk about those. These, These are the things, these are the five beliefs that, the reformers, and you want to talk about the reformers, I'm talking about Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ehrlich Zwingli. Um, those, those are the people I'm talking about. They're the people who moved us away from the Roman Catholic Church and into believing the Bible alone and that salvation is by faith alone and it comes as a gift from God by grace alone and it's Christ alone for the glory of God alone. And they're all related, interrelated. They all go together. They're all connected to one another. And, and you can't have one without having the others. Remember I gave you this little piece of prayer that we talked about the first week? May you love the scripture. May God's grace be with you. May he grant, strengthen, and increase your faith. Christ with you, before you, and behind you to the glory of God alone. Now, I'm not taking these in any particular order, uh, but today I want us to look at Christ alone. And really, this is the one that stands at the very center of the other four. Christ is the hub of our theology. He is the center. He is the cornerstone. He is the crown jewel of our faith. Christianity is not an idea, it's not a system, it's not a philosophy. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's what we are all about. Now, I know I'm not going to say anything that you guys don't already know. But I just want to encourage you. I want you, you know, I'm praying that when we leave here, your heart will be so full of Jesus, you just, you know, you just don't know what you want to, to do this afternoon. To proclaim Christ alone is to proclaim him as the Christian's one and only sufficient prophet, priest, and king. 
We need no other prophets to reveal God's word to us or God's will to us. We don't need any priests to mediate between us and God. Christianity is, is believing in God, God's salvation and God's blessing. We don't need any kings to control the thinking and lives of believer. Jesus is everything to us and for us in the gospel. This is who Jesus is. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15, who Jesus is. He, he's talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, by making peace through his blood of the cross, where the things on earth are things in heaven. This is our Jesus. He is the Word of God. He is the eternal God in human flesh. He is preexistent. That means He was before He was on earth. He was already there. He is God in the human flesh. He's co-equal with God the Father. He is co-creator of the universe. He's the source of all life. He's the source of all light. He is God Himself, the second person of the Trinity. You can't say enough about who Jesus is. And that's the God, that's the, the person that makes us Christians. Get it? Christians. Christians, that's who we are. Malcolm Muggeridge was a British journalist. He was born in 1903 in England. He grew up in a time when a lot of British intellectuals, and parenthesis, American intellectuals as well, were enthralled with communism, and Malcolm was one of them. That is, until he went to live in the Soviet Union in the 1930s. He was a young man, and he wanted to experience all that communism had to offer. And so he went to the, to the home of Soviet communism. And that experience opened his eyes, and when he came home, he was a forceful anti-communist. He said, it's not what it's cracked up to be. During World War II, he was a soldier and a spy. And then after the war, a fellow journalist led him to Jesus Christ. And he accepted Christ as a Savior. And he became an outspoken Christian. He, he wrote several books about, uh, about his walk with Christ and about who Christ is. And uh, he was a guest at a prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C., and he shared his personal testimony. And then after he shared his testimony, he made a number of comments about world affairs, which sounded very pessimistic to everybody who was there. So somebody asked him, Dr. Muggeridge, you've been very pessimistic. Don't you have any reason for optimism? He replied, my friend, I could not be more optimistic than I am because my hope is in Jesus Christ alone. 
he allowed that remark just to settle in for a few seconds and then he added, just think if the apostolic church had pinned its hope on the Roman Empire. You know, that speaks to us in our day. You know, the early church put its hope not in the governments of its day, but in Jesus Christ alone. And that speaks to us in the early years of the 2020s as we experience a dark time in American history. Remember that American history is not our hope. Democracy is not our hope. Not elections, not presidents, not vice presidents, not the courts, not Congress, not the media, not tech. Those things are not our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our only hope. Jesus Christ alone. He is our only way to live. He's our only way to salvation. In one of the earliest Christian sermons, Peter, preaching about Jesus, said, There is salvation nowhere else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. There's no other name. There's no other way. There's no other organization. There's no other anything that can bring us salvation. Being saved by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone means that Jesus has done the necessary work of salvation utterly and completely so that there's no honor to us. There's no merit on the part of humans, no merit for any saints or no works of ours performed here or later in purgatory can add to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. They can't add to Christ's completed work. In fact, Paul told the Galatians, that any attempt to add to the work of Christ is a perversion of the gospel and indeed is no gospel at all. There are several scenes of salvation that are worked out in Scripture. And here's where all the Scripture comes in that I'm not going to give you, okay? Uh, if, if you want it, give me a, give me a, send me an email or just let me know and I'll, I'll send you all this Scripture so you can look it up. But Jesus accomplished, first of all, the work of substitution. He died in our place. He was our substitute. He died in the place of sinners. Isaiah, speaking of Jesus, prophesied that the Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And Paul says of Christ, taking on our punishment, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In short, Jesus died in our place. He was our substitute. The second scene of salvation is the work of redemption. Jesus accomplished the work of redemption. Through Christ's death on the cross, he paid a ransom to the Father for us. He redeemed us. Paul says we have learned that we have been bought with a price. We owed a sin debt to God that we could not pay. And the only outcome is eternal punishment in hell. But Jesus paid our fine. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, thus securing our freedom. Therefore, he has ransomed us. He has redeemed us. There's a chorus that uh, 
you know, we used to sing. I don't know if you guys sang it or not, but it, it went kind of, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And, and that's, that's the, the redemption that Jesus Christ did for us. Third, Jesus accomplished the work of propitiation. Man, that's a big word. I just threw it out. Anybody can define that. Go ahead and, and do that. But basically what it means is that Jesus satisfied God's righteousness for us. He satisfied God's anger against the sinner for us. Christ's sacrifice was so pleasing to God that he that God justified the sinner through the redemption we find in Christ Jesus. Uh, in Hebrews it says, where the blood of bulls and goats was unable to satisfy God's wrath against sin, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. Now, all that goes to, that's why they just use one word, propitiation, you know. So if you just learn propitiation, we can save all that time just telling you what that, what that means each time. Fourth, Jesus accomplished forgiveness for sins. All the sacrifices, all the prayers, all the fasting, all the self-deprecation, all the good deeds in the world cannot accomplish the forgiveness of sin. The only thing that satisfies God, the only thing that removes the guilt of sin and reconciles us to God is Jesus Christ. He has forgiven all our transgressions. And fifth, Jesus brought about our justification. On the cross, Christ took away the penalty of our sin, and he was judged. And at the same time, his righteousness was imputed to us. In other words, we receive his righteousness simply because God said, you're righteous because Jesus Christ was righteous. And so because of Christ and Christ alone, God pardons sinners and declares them justified. Now, there's some overlap in all of those. They're, they're not totally 100% distinct. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a seminary class in theology, a, a theology class, and we studied this for three or four weeks with a couple of hours a day of, of lectures. So I gave it to you really quick. Um, but that's what I mean. I, I want it to be a message, not, not a lecture. And then you add to all of that that I've said, his resurrection on the third day is provided the proof that God accepted his sacrifice. It provides the hope for our regeneration, our hope for heaven, our hope for justification, our model for, for our future bodily resurrection, our power that's granted to the believer to live life religiously, righteously, in short, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what brings us all to new life and in the life to come. And the testimony of Scripture is undeniable. No other means, no other method, no other agent, there's no other Savior, there's nothing else that provides the redemption, the salvation, the regeneration, the justification, the resurrection needed for the believer. That's what the, the Reformers meant when they said Christ and Christ alone. That's who we uh, worship. That's who we depend on. Now, here's my list of all the scriptures. 
So if you want them, let me know. (laughs) Our salvation is totally based on Jesus Christ. But not only that, he is our only hope for heaven. He is our priority for living. He is the source of our strength, the source of our hope. And we find our glory in the power of the cross. And I know you believe that. I know every one of you believe that. And all of you watching on Zoom believe that. But I want to strengthen your resolve. I want, I want you to see the foundation in Christ alone as our only possibility for heaven. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room the night before his arrest. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul said that Jesus is our priority for living. Listen to what he says to the Philippians. More than that, I also consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider the them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul said, Jesus is my only hope, and he is our only hope, too. He is the source of our strength. Paul told Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is the source of our hope. Paul said in in Romans, Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He also told the Galatians that we find our power for living in the power of the cross. But as for me, he said, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the translations translate that glory. But as for me, I will never glory in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. And we have to remember, not just in theology, not just in church, not just on Sunday morning, but in all of life, Jesus Christ is our hope, our only hope. And by saying that he is our hope alone, we are saying that we don't hope in governments or churches, or priests, or saints, not Mary, not prophets, not works. Our hopes are not in baptism, or confirmation, or marriage, or the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist, or Mass, or communion, or confession, or last rites. None of those things are our hopes. And when we pray, we don't need to pray to angels, or saints, or or Mary, or, or anything else. We trust in Christ alone. In John, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. Yet they testify of me. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul tells Timothy, there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Our lives are complete in Christ alone. Now, I'm going to do something this morning. I was telling Jennifer this morning that I've never done this before. Uh, but when I was a young pastor in the southern Utah, and we were part of the Utah-Idaho Southern Baptist Convention, I went to an evangelism conference in uh, Boise uh, one time. And one of the preachers there was a, a pastor from San Diego. And some of you have heard of him. His name was S.M. Lockridge. Uh, Shadrach Meshach. Lockridge, and uh, he preached a sermon about Jesus one night that just absolutely thrilled my heart, my soul, and I've never forgotten it. Parts of it you can find on YouTube. Uh, I just suggest that if you've never heard it, just go, just type in on YouTube, uh, S.M. Lockridge, Christ is my King. It is powerful. It's so powerful, I'm going to share part of it. But I'm not going to preach it like he did. I just don't have the personality to do that. But uh, I do want to read to you to what it says. And this was the conclusion to his sermon. Okay? It's called, That's My King. Do you know him? The Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He is the king of the Jews, a racial king. He is the king of Israel, a national king. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. And I wonder, do you know him? David said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in solitude of himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature He's the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies... Strength for the weak, he's available for the tempted and the tried. 
He sympathizes, he saves, he strengthens, he sustains, he guards, and he guides. My king is the king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. But he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. Yes, that's my king. Is that great or what? You know, that's just, that's, that is awesome. The, the description of who Jesus is. You know, and, and I've never forgot that. that was 45 something years ago that I heard him preach that sermon. It was just, I, I've never, I can still see him standing there. I don't know how in the world he had the breath to do it. Um, but it, it's awesome. But what's really awesome is the Jesus Christ he was talking about. After I'd finished college, before I went to seminary, um, I had the fortune to serve in Uncle Sam's army. And during basic training, I was assigned a position of responsibility in our platoon. One Saturday, we were involved in the task of cleaning the barracks in preparation for an inspection. And one of the soldiers that I was in charge of, or I was supposed to be in charge of, thought it was completely appropriate for him to lay on his bed while the rest of us worked. And so I went over and confronted him about it, and he got rather testy. And uh, I told him if he didn't get off that bunk and begin to help, we were going to have a problem. And then he got really nasty with me. But I kept my calm, and I just kept insisting that he get off his bed and pitch in. Finally, in a moment of desperation, he intended to hurl an insult at me. He said to me, he called me, and I get this. He said, you are nothing but a Jesus freak. And I thought, wow, I love it. If the worst a person can say about me is that I'm a Jesus freak, something's showing that ought to be. I got to thinking about that last night when I was going over this. You know, I wish that we could all be known as Jesus freaks. As a matter of fact, maybe we should change the name of our church. The Jesus Freak Church of Dolores. Because that's what we're about. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray together.